Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Jenny, hello. Hello, Jill. Okay. Hello, listeners. (laughs) You are here also. I am slightly intimidated because I am interviewing a very talented interviewer, so it's a little um, daunting to be on the other side. But joining me today is Jenny Hutt from the Just Jenny podcast. She was formerly on Just Jenny on Sirius XM Radio. Now she is out on her own, yeah. and there are no holds barred. She can say whatever she wants. Nothing, nothing off limits. So I, I'm listening every day, and you should definitely tune in. But today, Jenny is here, and I would love to talk about vulnerability and how. You just went out there and poured your guts out to your dad. I'm so sorry, passed away a little while ago. And you've been documenting that and you're leaving serious. And I just, yeah, how did you, is that, have you always just shared all of you? I mean, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Second of all, there is nothing um, to worry about with talking to me. We're just talking. We're just having a conversation. And that's really the- the beauty of podcasting, it's long form. And so it doesn't have to be any kind of formal interview style. Just sort of get into it and you're good. And you already know what you're well, doing. Well, this is a little different. This is a little different for me because we've normally done really sort of tight, just Q&A on oh, wow. a specific topic. So it hasn't been as super loose and conversational, but I'm excited for it to be because it's a shit ton of editing the other way. And yeah. well, that's <laughs> the thing too. Yeah. I, I have found, um, it's fun to do the podcast stuff because I can edit what I want to edit and I don't have to edit what I don't. And either way, it sounds like good enough. It sounds like real conversation because that's what it is. So that's the part. Yes. Like I, I like totally. that, but in terms of sharing, gosh, I think it goes way back. It goes back to 2005 or 2006 when I first started on the air at SiriusXM. It was October 24th of 2005, and I remember the first day on the air. Truly, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was terrified. I'd had zero radio experience. I had been. How did you get into it in the first place? So, going back a little bit farther, I went to law school. And then I went to, after I finished law school, I went to take an acting, like I went to acting school, but I met my husband in that class that I was in and it was a two-year program. Mm -hmm. And after the first year, I just dropped out. I I didn't think I was going to meet my husband in an acting school and then it just kind of happened. And then I, we got engaged quick, really quickly. And then a year and a half later, we got married or a year and two months later, we got married. Eight or nine months later, I get pregnant and- it's so, I feel really lucky about that one aspect of my life that I didn't go through fertility issues. We just kind of like mm-hmm. got pregnant. And nowadays, every, there's so many problems with fertility stuff yeah. that I feel like I, every day I feel relieved because I didn't have that. I, I had that, oh my God, I'm pregnant? Like what? Because we were just- Me too. Right. Married and got I pregnant. two oops babies. Two and oops one, babies. One planned one. And my kids yeah. laugh about it. And- Whatever it was, I wanted them both. I knew I was going to have two kids, and that was like sort of the. I knew I wanted two kids, 
And if I ended up with more then but then I got, I started working. So anyway, I had my two kids and I took the bar. I passed, should say I passed the bar when my son was born. I was like, I can't have gone to law school, not pass the bar. That's not an example, like a good example for him. I have mm-hmm. to finish this whole process, even though I had zero interest in being a lawyer. So while he was a newborn, I studied at home with a tutor and passed the bar, which was great. That was done. <laughs> wow. So now I another year goes on. I find out I passed the bar. And the night I found out I passed the bar is the night I got pregnant with my daughter. It's not even oh. like a great story. It was actually like it was actually like angry sex. Like we'd had a fight over something and then yeah, <laughs> it's true. I, I can't and it was like earlier in the day and that night was when I found out I passed the bar. Anyway, um we all we still laugh about it. We still it's yeah. <laughs> Thank God my kids don't listen to this because it's no need. So, oh, my kids don't appreciate it. My my mm-hmm. one planned one yeah. holds it over the other two's head. Like, oh my he God, is more so special good. because he was planned. Oh yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean you love. Actually, what you say is to the one that's not planned. You say you're you're the best kind. You're made out of love, and then they go, "Oh, that is so disgusting. <laughs> that is nauseating. Nauseating. Okay, totally <laughs> nauseating. I mean, my parents did that to me. I was an oops, so it kind of was fair. Anyway. So, so, uh, so yeah. So after I passed the bar, that was really cool. Now I'm pregnant with my daughter and, um, I have my baby girl. We move out of Manhattan. We've been living in the city. We moved to Long Island to be closer to my family, really close next door, close to my family. Um, and then I did like to both your parents and your sister. Yeah. Right. right. So my parents were married before my mother died. And then my sister lived next door, like across the driveway. And my brother lived mostly in Manhattan, but like would be actually, he lived in Long Island at one point. They lived in the city. They, they never lived in California, but he's in the TV business. So, and movie business. So we'd go back and forth. So, um, then, then I started, I, I think when Raquel was like six months old, I started doing a little bit of legal work with a friend of mine and for a friend of mine, but it was the kind of thing that I would go and do per diem work for people. So I'd be paid almost mm. as a day worker to go to court and show up on someone's behalf just to like, I don't know, deal with emotion in the courtroom in front of a judge, but not really deal with the issue of the case. It was fine. It was like acting. It was like playing a lawyer on TV. And that was fun. Mm. And then I just eh, didn't want to do it. I was doing some mortgage closings and title stuff and it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. But I felt very kind of I felt kind of stilted at home with my two kids. They were they were young. I was not the kind of mother who was like part of the PTA and baking and crafting. I'm just uh-huh. I'm just not her. And I also wasn't yeah, at I the time that. a self-starter. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't want, I wasn't reading. I wasn't learning. I was atrophying. I felt like in every single way. And in 2005, my father, so I caught an assistant of his stealing. It was a really crazy story that I can't even get into the whole thing because in the early days of the internet when like you could really go into anyone's account and find anything out and figure out who was doing what, when, with whom. And I did. And anyway, so he was he was down an assistant. He was going to start working with Martha Stewart and he needed an assistant. And we were like around a dinner table, my whole family. And I re- remember I was just like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go be your assistant. Like, I'll just go be 
your executive assistant. I'll be your secretary. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is back in 2005. Maybe I could say secretary. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So it was around this time, like March-ish. I start working for him at Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia as his executive assistant. I was the greatest executive assistant ever in the history of executive assistants. He never had anything digitized. He didn't have a calendar. Like the guy was, I don't even know how he functioned, but I went in and I just like whipped him into shape. At that time, I met Martha's daughter, Alexis. We became friends sort of on the job because she was always there. She was filming The Apprentice and she was back and forth and we just hit it off. She's very, very smart, incredibly interesting. And yeah, we got along really, really well at that point. And she asked me to do a radio show with her. Like the company had made a deal with Sirius XM that Martha was going to have a channel and Alexis mm -hmm. was going to have a show. She asked me to do it with her. So I said, yes, we demoed it a couple times. My father was petrified that I was going to sink the ship and not because he didn't <laughs> believe in me, but it was like very much oversharing much the way I still do. And he got used to obviously mm -hmm. over 17 plus years, he kind of knows who I am. Um, and knew who I was, but kind of got used to the sharing that I would do. So I started to do this daily radio show with Alexis. And that was the first show was in October and out of Sirius XM. And then when she five and a half years into it, we had like the radio show and then we had three different television shows and, and critically they all did well. Like people loved our stuff. We were not really appropriate for Hallmark channel, which is where our TV shows had lived. Although mm -hmm. first they were on the fine living channel. Then we moved to Hallmark for the third season of Whatever Martha, which was a show that everybody loved. And then Alexis decided she didn't want to do the show anymore and she didn't want to be around me anymore. And she like essentially dumped me, dumped the show, and that was the end of it. That was the end of our Ouch. relationship. Yeah, it was uh it was strange, but not as strange as maybe it would have been if we were two different people. Knowing who she is, mm -hmm. it it wasn't that far off course for her okay. to kind of decide that, that she didn't want to be around me anymore. It wasn't, there wasn't like one specific blow up or it was just a weird, odd dynamic. One that I learned an incredible amount from. I, I feel so grateful that I got to work with her and with her mother and I will always have a fondness for both of them. But I understand that at that point it was, it was time for me to kind of step into my own role and figure out what that what that was. And thankfully, SiriusXM hired me. I mean, mm -hmm. like I got fired and then I was hired within three weeks. So I was only off the air okay. for my son's bar mitzvah in Israel. And that's convenient. But that ouch. Yeah. That is tough. Yeah, it was weird. It was hard. But there were I think there were a lot of things going on. And um that weren't weren't really about me. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It was scary. I definitely was like, oh, I finally have this like career that I'm really happy in. And it's, but back to, so the vulnerability thing was that when I had started Jill, I learned like I was so insecure and I always felt like I was a little bit weird and a little bit off. And by the way, I am a little bit weird and a little bit off, but so are most people. Oh, I am a lot weird and a lot off. And I constantly am reminding my kids that that's okay. Right. So, but I didn't know that was okay. And then yeah. I think that from doing the radio show and the response that we got and the response that I got from people was so um, validating, like, there were other people who felt like they could only poop at home. Like, I thought that was just me. 
that I had issues with the bathroom that mm-hmm. I felt like a cat and no one could ever oh, possibly that's super know. Common. Yeah, I never knew. I just yeah. it wasn't, I just didn't know. Or my anxieties, I thought, were only were sold to me. I mean, in 2005, I know that there was Prozac Nation somewhere in there, but not in the way at which we talk about mental health, mental wel- wellness, and anxiety oh, and all of those things today. Yeah. So being myself, I found really rewarding in that it not just liberated me in the sense that it made me feel okay as myself, but I felt like other people felt the same way they could hear themselves in me. And mm. that just made me realize also that sharing whatever it is that I'm going through will definitely fall on someone else who has the same kind of thing going on. Of course. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking about the you're just in such a groove with your partner and you're just going along and thinking that your your future is just laid out for the two of you and then she just pulls the rug out. Um, well, no. I mean, there were she, they, they, no. She she pulled the rug out in the sense that there was a finality to it. But mm-hmm. but by the end of our time working together, I think we had gone in a bit of divergent paths. I I had lost my mother while being on the air. Mm-hmm. which was um which was really weird my mom my mom had pancreatic cancer and nobody knew because she was extremely private not unlike my father who didn't want me talking about his cancer and my mom the day that she got admitted to the hospital around 4 weeks before she died and she ended up coming home to die martha went on the air on her show right before our show and announced to the audience that my mother was very sick. I hadn't told anybody. And so that was a very strange experience because at like 2.57, I think we were on at three or maybe it was 3.57 and we were on at four. She's on the mic telling whoever listened, this is pre like internet what it is today. She's, she's saying this Why? and then I have to get on the mic. Is she, is she saying that in order for them to send you thoughts and prayers or something like that? But I hadn't told anyone. So now the mic goes live and I'm I now have to talk about my mother who's sick and dying. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was rough. It was that was a that was a hard time. And then then she died around four weeks later, and I really had no idea how to process it. Um, I had been spending my life taking care of her or working. I, I don't know where I was for my children during that time. I mean, we were all here. So my mom was next door. So they were cared for. But I, I don't remember yeah. that year of my life. And uh, and I don't really remember all that much of the year after she died. And because I really didn't know how to, how to process grief and what to do with it. But mm-hmm. a lot changed for me after she died. That was when I was really overweight. And then I lost a lot of weight after I lost my mother. So I think between my my own personal kind of growth journey was where I was headed. And then I guess Alexis was in her own space. So by the time we were kind of doing the TV shows and the radio show, I had lost like 70 pounds. So I was different from who I had been when we had initially started in mm-hmm. a way not different as a person because you you don't change the who that you are when you lose weight, but you have a new set of vulnerabilities. And my affect was different because I was much more comfortable in my body than I had been. And mm-hmm. I think that gave me a confidence that I didn't have prior and mm-hmm. an ease of sort of 
walking through the world felt much easier, but I also had way greater emotion than I'd had prior and it was scary. So yeah. So I think we just went in different. So it wasn't like it was a shock to me when ultimately she decided to quit the show the day of sure, but it wasn't a shock that it was going to happen. Yeah. Did you know right then that you wanted to do something on your own or was your first feeling that you just wanted to never be seen again? Like what was the Oh no, I was going to keep going. Reaction? I mean, I I had built this incredible relationship with my listeners at that point. And this was now in 2011, I think, the end of yeah, the not yes, it was like June of 2011. And um and when she quit, I was still left doing the show on the Martha channel by myself, the whatever with Alexis and Jennifer, but just as me, there was no Alexis. It was totally weird for like six months. And then they, yeah. And then they fired me and my listeners were really great. Like initially there were these weird things said about me that just weren't true. And I just didn't deal with them. Cause I, you can't, you can't fight what isn't so essential. Like I didn't, there was nothing to defend. Like I don't know. Some people thought that I had pushed her out, like that the rumor was that I was looking for a new co-host, which was so ridiculous on so many. I mean, I'm on her mother's channel with her mother's daughter of her mother's company. Like it was, it was an absurd assertion and I, and there was nothing I could do about, like, I just kept doing my job with my head down. Like maybe no one will notice that I'm here. They've got other things to do. So I'd show up and do my radio show and within I would say a couple months, the listeners kind of knew that I was just always doing the same thing and I wanted Mm. to be there and it was all okay. And then we wrote that book. Yeah. I mean, it's so long ago now that I can't even write. What's that? Forgive me. I I didn't even, I know about the glasses, which is amazing. And I want to talk about it. I even know there was a book. Um, But let's talk about the glasses for a second. Funny Eyes happened in 2017 after doing my own show for five years. I was getting. I think I was just getting bored of me. And so I don't know. I'm not a believer in manifestation like at all. Like I think that whole, I believe in having dreams, but I don't believe in dreams without work ethic toward it. Like I don't, I I find this way of thinking right now a little bit dangerous, this whole thing where people Mm -hmm. are like, I'm going to be a star. And I don't even know what that means. Or like, I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, you have to like, train for that. Like this idea of just... But I had somebody tell me that they could manifest the weather. Okay. Right. Okay. So that's a lot to me. I don't... A disconnect. You know, maybe there's some... Maybe it's a character defect that I don't have that level of thinking I am that powerful, but I do believe that when you like put something out there and then you're willing to put the work in behind it, that's different. That to me is what's meant by manifest. You want something, you might manifest the ability to do the things you have to do to get the thing that you want rather than Mm, just kind mm -hmm. of sitting waiting for it to happen because waiting Mm -hmm. for anything to happen is not really going to happen except for Mm -hmm. death that will happen at some point. So, um, so bunny eyes, I was just really uh, at 44, my vision changed. I used to have perfect vision and then at 44, everything got blurry. And so I felt, I get my hair colored often or my hair blown often back then, especially because I, just was doing more things that required that. And I always felt it was a giant waste of time because I couldn't wear my glasses, my reading glasses when I would get my hair done. Mm-hmm. So that was the original impetus for them. 
because I remember I, I was getting my hair blown out and I was like, why? I, it's going to ruin my hair if I wear my glasses, but I need to read, like I need to get some work done. I can't get work done. And I was like super yeah. annoyed. And then I said to myself, why aren't there any glasses that you could hold in your hand the way people held opera glasses mm-hmm. back in the but 1800s? They, they, but they flip back and forth. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They, but they the, yeah, original, yeah, yeah. the original prototype, yeah. I, I took a pair of glasses and ripped the temples off and glued chopsticks was the original <laughs> for the non-DIY type. Yeah, it was huge. Oh, that's but really I funny. But I felt this thing in my stomach, this flutter in my stomach that I've never felt before then. And that, I mean, we now know the gut-mind connection is really wild. It's a two-way street and the gut is considered the second brain because there's almost as many neurons and synapses in our bellies as there are in our brains. So like a gut reaction or something in your gut is really something often to listen to. I didn't know that then, but I still, I felt this thing, like I have an idea. And then my sister and I were, and I usually did my hair at home, by the way. So that my sister and I happened to be at the beauty parlor together. Yes. With my pocketbook. And she looked like frustrated in her chair and we were getting our hair colored that day. And I asked her why she was frustrated. She said, cause she couldn't read cause she couldn't wear glasses. And, and I, and I was like, that's crazy. Cause this is like, this has been bothering me for months because we must have been in July now. I had the idea in April. Now we're in July. And I only told my son and my husband and my daughter wasn't interested. And it was funny. And so then in July, Stacy's next to me and I take out my cell phone and she takes out hers. And I'm like, all right, let's just for fun, let's do play like the Hero or Zero app. I guess Lori Grenier had just launched that app. I played, is it a hero or is it a zero? And it came up a hero because it didn't exist. And we tried everywhere. We tried just to look for like opera glasses. Yeah. And they were nowhere. They weren't on Amazon. They weren't on Alibaba. That old site, not the company, like there was a site that was like the other part of the web. They were nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was bizarre. Like, cause at the time the thin, thin optics existed, but there was nothing that were cute and fashionable that you could be hands-free. So mm-hmm. my sister knew another, a mother from when her kids were in grade school and high school or whatever. And that was in eyewear. And my sister's like, you need to meet Andrea because she makes eyeglasses. I I had no idea. Like I knew the kids, but I didn't know the mother made eyeglasses. So I met with Andrea at a diner with a napkin that was the NDA. Like I scribbled it on the napkin. (laughs) She happened to be going to China two weeks later for her own company. And then she and I talked about the prototype with the chopsticks and she was like, yeah, but we can make this better. You can't just have to wear them, like right. hold them. Right. You have to be able to wear them too. I was like, right. Oh, that. So cut to now. I and mean, then we launched, you did it. Yeah. And then we launched within like six or seven months but or eight months. But she, so the three of us, the three names are on our patent. We have utility patent and we have some design patents. And we did all that, which is very, very cool that we were able to get patents. And, and, uh, yeah, and then we launched Bunny Eyes. And now, you know, you can wear them. You can flip the temples, which is I'm doing that now. And you can hold them in your hand if you want to. And then, that's awesome. And then we learned like the other uses that we didn't even intend. Like I lie in the bed with my head on my pillow and the temple doesn't dig into the side of my head. And I can yeah. read a book or read my phone in the middle of the night. And yeah. it's great. So you were on your own at Sirius for how long? 
gosh. So I start to um, my math. You, I've told you I can't do math. So 2005. Oh, you can so I was on. I, can't do math I was on Martha's channel at SiriusXM from 2005 to to the end of 2011. So I got fired like December of 2011, and then I was on SiriusXM stars on Sirius from 2012 till 2022. So right. I just left in. November. So I left Sirius XM on Friday, November 11th and dropped my first podcast episode that Monday, the 14th. How how does it feel different? Um how first of all, how was how was Sirius XM to be a host on? I'm just curious. And how is it different being on your own? Yeah, I mean, I loved Sirius XM. I had an incredible 17 plus years there. I made some good friends. I learned how to be a broadcaster. I met terrific publicists with whom I created relationships with that could carry forward. Um, I learned how to interview people. I learned how to talk to people. I loved engaging with the audience. I made friends through the audience. Um, it was amazing. The, the radio listener really becomes like family. There's an, there's an intimacy between the broadcaster and the listener in talk radio. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that dynamic. I really did. Um, it was cool. They had a talent department, which helped book my guests, though I wasn't ever really super guest heavy. Um, I, don't know, I loved it. I, it, was a, it was a really incredible experience. It was. And leaving it was very scary, certainly bittersweet. Mm-hmm. And I just was terrified how I was going to even launch this podcast. I had no idea what to do or so how to do sure, it. Was there any doubt that that was what you were going to do next? Yeah. So there was no doubt, Jill, because I, I didn't, there was nothing else for me to do. Like I didn't know what else I could do. No. I mean, I didn't, I don't know what other skill I, I have. And I also felt like I've had relationships with people for, for 15 years or 17 years who've listened mm-hmm. Why would I leave? Why would I leave now in this in this chapter in this next chapter? And yeah. also, look, I knew, like, I knew my father was very unwell. I didn't know when he was going to die, but I, but I knew that he was going to die, and I, I knew there was enough kind of change around me, and I couldn't give up the connection that I also have with the people I've been talking with for the past seventeen years. It was too much. That would be too much loss at once. And your people seem like they have followed you and they, they are, are the most very connected. T- yeah. I mean, because I guess the social media aspect of that, like my relationship, I don't have a gargantuan following, but my my followers are really like my friends. And so they message me. I message them back. We We tell each other stories. So there's that give and take. So yeah, I mean, initially I was nervous about the podcast. How am I going to find guests? Who am I going to talk to? What am I going to say? What... And what does it have to sound like? But, and this is, I think, maybe the most important takeaway for anybody listening who's going to launch anything or do something different or scary. Stop thinking about it and just start doing it. And like, that's really it. You just have to start the doing of the thing. And, and that creates a momentum within you. And also you start to learn how to do it a day at a time. And then- Totally. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're just doing it. And it's- Right. And it's really okay. Yeah. Had I not- had I not uh, written my very first blog post yeah. in 2008, then nothing would have happened subsequently. Um, but you've yeah. talked about your your kind of hesitancy for that next phase because you did so well with Scary Mommy that 
that mm-hmm. almost like the fear of what if you don't get to that level again. Oh, yeah. It's very daunting to know that you most likely will never reach what you've already reached. <laughs> um, but I think I've really come around finally to appreciate what Scary Mommy was, what I did for it, yeah. what it became, yeah. and I can leave it in the past. Yeah. I don't it I don't I don't wish that it were a part of my life anymore. And That's I'm good. really excited about about the things that are coming. Um but I am definitely a starter of things and I always have been my actually my very first job as a total side note, the very first job I ever applied for was at Martha Stewart Living. Ha! It was for the Weddings Magazine and it was making the, um, oh God, what were they called? It was like the little things, like the party favors and the baskets and like the everything that they'd have yeah. um, in the magazine. Yeah. And as my application, I made like a mini Martha Stewart magazine out of my wedding. Wow. And I and it was, I applied, I got the job. I it was I wanted it was so excited to take it. It paid twelve thousand dollars a year. Yeah, there you go. So I did not take right. that job. Right. Um, but it was my dream. Anyway. Um well you're very DIY. Yeah. You're good at that kind of thing. I love it. I love that stuff. Yeah. I yes, I am I am definitely the thing I um can't DIY is my um my cooking and my food and my all of that stuff. Yeah. I am much more of a door dasher than a DIYer yeah. these days, and it's bad. Well, um, you got to do it fits do into you, your world. More could fit into my world, <laughs> but I know that you have come a long way. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about that journey a little bit because I feel like I – I need to get on that journey and I'm just having so much trouble getting there. Um, yeah. So I'm looking for some inspiration from you. Oh God. Uh, I think that, look, I think we all have to find the comfortable place in our bodies. Like that's, I don't think there's one body type. I don't think there's one right weight. I don't think there's one right anything. I think there is a sliding scale I didn't mean the pun. It's there. Didn't mean it. I think there's a sliding scale of what is healthy. So, and mm. and I don't think it's health at every size, but I think it's health at most sizes. And when I say mm-hmm. that, I'm referring to both extremes. I don't think emaciated mm-hmm. is a good thing. And I, I don't think that having a the, the disease of obesity to a point where it's a danger is a good thing. So that's just to, to be clear. Um, Look, my journey is atypical and, or maybe it's very typical. Um, my mother drove me absolutely crazy about my body, put me mm-hmm. through torture in ways that I still aren't, I'm not fully ready to talk about. Um, I've said this before, I think on my own podcast that my son likes to tell me that I, I don't have to share every trauma and back to kind of what you talked about with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I get to choose what I share, but if I'm going to share, then I'm going to tell the whole story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, my mother used to really appraise my worth based on my weight and, and it wasn't the kind of thing that she was like, oh, you're fat. I hate you. No, it was subtle, but it was clear yeah. to me that my lovability waxed and waned depending on what the scale said. And while mm-hmm. Today, having lost her almost 15 years ago, I recognize it was much more about the fact that I was this extension of her that she could not shake in the sense that she couldn't separate us. So 
she saw that I had her legs and she hated her legs. So she hated my legs. So all kind of the things she thought were deficits in her that she saw in me were still a part of her. It wasn't really about me. And when she could separate it out, which she did most of the time, we had the best relationship and I felt so loved and so worthy, but that was her mental illness. And I worked really, really hard for many years to not allow the size of my body to determine my worth. I mean, it really, it really got in the way of a lot of, I mean, many years of my feeling okay. But I think that even though by 2008, when my mother was dying, we were in a super healthy place, she finally got into therapy when she was probably 60 and she died at 65. And um, I think that changed a lot between us. I think that her fear that I wouldn't somehow get married and have kids, because remember where we were, when we were getting married, like that was still very much a goal. It's different now, 25 or 26 years later from, or 27 years later from what it was. So she was worried I wouldn't get married. I wouldn't have kids all because my body wasn't like Kate Moss ish. And, um, and so by the time she had gotten into therapy and then she got sick and then she passed away at that point, I wish I could have lost weight while she was still alive. I wish that. I could have chosen to kind of care for myself in a, in a different way. Um, but I couldn't because subconsciously my anger toward her, I'm sure, was too much. So, yeah, that was, it was, it's still strange to me how so it all played out. how soon out. was it? So I remember, so she dies in July. And I think like in August, I send an email to someone named Liz jo- Josephsburg at Weight, Weight Watchers who was like the celebrity coach, but I had met her because of the radio show. So she had, I knew her and I sent her an email, like I'm ready to lose weight. And she wrote me back. Your mother died. No, you're not like she, it was like the most ethical email I think I've ever gotten. And she has a whole plan now (laughs) called target 100 and she's great. But at the time I just, I laugh at it now because she was totally right. But like, I don't know. It was so, I just was like, let me just get going now. And she was like, yeah, you're going to have to grieve. Like you're going to have to grieve. And um, you're going to pay for it later. Yeah. Like you're just going to have to grieve for now. So I think it was in 2009, 2009, I found out that I had high blood pressure and I already knew I had high cholesterol. At the time, I'm not sure I realized that the cholesterol was, I'd had it since I was 14. So there had to be a genetic mm-hmm. component to it, but nobody knew like they know today, the things that they, you know, it's. I, I, nobody, no matter what I weigh, my cholesterol was always going to be high, whether or not I was on a medication and I have like other weird heart disease, like environmental stuff really matters for me. And I have to be smaller in size for my body and to be the healthiest I could be for me. But I'm still, the numbers are never going to be flawless without medication when it comes to like, you know, my cholesterol. So that's fun. Um, so I just, I think I, I was 39 and I, there was like some sort of thing in me that realized I wanted, like I wanted to feel good. And I, and I didn't have lofty goals, Jill. It was the first time in my life that I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a size, whatever. 
I just, I didn't want to be categorized as clinically obese. And at the time, like we had different language then. So it's hard. This is 15 years ago or 14 years ago. Like I, the language was so different from what it is today. So mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how I would talk about it today in the same, it's a whole different vernacular, but that back then I just didn't want to be classified as clinically obese based on what we know mm-hmm. now, the BMI, which is a faulty metric anyway. And, but that was it. And, and prior to that, every diet I went on was all about getting to be a size two and fitting in a certain size jean or whatever, and, or wearing jeans. And that was nowhere in me. It was just kind of like, I just want to be healthy. I just want to feel okay. And so how is life? What's different now? How is life different? How do you wake up in the morning? That's different than how you woke up in the morning. Well, I know that most of my clothing will fit. Like right now I have an extra five pounds on me because of my grief body. It's like the grief and stress body. I'm, I'm a puffer fish. I just go. Mm-hmm. Whoosh. Plus, I also had broke bones in um, in the summer, and that set me back a little bit because I couldn't move. I'm very active, and I couldn't be active for a few weeks. That was horrible. Uh, so, how look? My, my I have clo- I I have clothing that I can always wear, and that feels really good. I don't have the same struggle in the closet I once did. That's that's one thing that changed. Mm-hmm. I am way more emotionally available. Cause I don't, I don't really numb myself with food. And if I do numb myself with food, I know that I'm numbing myself with food, which kind of takes away the, dare I say fun of numbing myself with food, right? It's just a different, Mm. and I'm also, um, I think the biggest difference for me is that I don't, I don't closet eat anymore ever. I'd rather tell someone what I'm eating or eat with, it's not that I even want to eat with anybody, but I like people to know that I'm eating. I like to, I Mm. won't. Pretend that I'm not eating French fries if I'm eating French fries. fries. I'm more present. I love that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes total sense. But it's hard. When I think about things I yeah. regret eating, I'm never with other people. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, that. Yeah. That makes sense. And then the movement part. I mean, I work out a lot, but I but I like it. Like I haven't been able to exercise yet today, and I'm so excited that I can work out for an hour. After and you we're just done. you just walk. I and just walk, walk and walk. I just keep. I'm Forrest Gump. I just keep walking. Eventually, I'll lift weights. Sometimes I lift a little weights, but yeah, I just okay. like to move. Feels good, but that helps. Okay. That helps a tremendous amount with weight management, not with weight loss, but weight management. Yeah, I'm sure. The strangest part about all the weight and body stuff for me, really, is that I spent my whole life trying to deny that I had a weight problem. Which, when you're mm-hmm. fat, you really can't deny it. But like I'd want to wear oversized clothing to hide my ass. People knew there was an ass under my clothing. (laughs) Like I was fooling absolutely no one. But I remember like at different points in my life, like at 22, I had lost a lot of weight and um, I kept that weight off for like a year and then it came flooding right back on the minute something dramatic or tragic happened in my world. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to live. I wasn't ready to live my life the way I, th- with the vulnerability that having a smaller body in our society gave me because I felt, oh, virtu- well, I felt virtually invisible when I was fat. I did. I, I felt mm-hmm. like I could walk down the street and eat. if someone looked, it was sort of a marginal kind of look and it wasn't nice, mm-hmm. but like you just kind of skate through, it feels like it felt like. And when I lost weight, there was a lot of attention and I, at 23 or 22, I couldn't handle it. I, it was terrifying. I didn't like it. I well, it's so insulting. It was insulting, but I didn't know it was insulting. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But at 40, I did. At 40, mm-hmm. once I lost weight, it was like for about 
five months, it was fun to have attention. Mm-hmm. And then it was insulting. And then it was like, but like, this is the same person. Why are you interested in my doing this or that now? Yeah. And I'm not talking like dating. I was married at every size, still am happily. We, you know, real marriage. I don't mean happily like, oh my God, I'm Pollyanna. I'm with my husband 27 years and every day we laugh. Um, but like, I love my husband always. Yeah. So, but things like job offers and invitations to things and people wanting to be my friend. That changed a lot. When I lost weight, that's weird. That made me furious. But I was- Even at 40, that happens. Oh, it happens. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's super depressing. Super depressing. And it was really strange. And I had a lot of anger that I had to deal with because of that, because I, it made me want to hate people and I don't want to hate people for, for that. But now at 53, now I just, I don't care. Now I just care about me in the best way, in that way, right? Like I just want to be healthy to be healthy and be my friend or don't. Oh, but what I was saying is that I I did, I spent my whole life trying to not make my weight a conversation to have with people Mm -hmm. because that's just, I don't know, when you have a weight issue, even though everyone knows you don't want to talk about it because what's there to really say? But then it became the conversation everyone wanted to have. So then I got over it. I'm like, oh, fine, we can talk about it. It's fine. So tell me your favorite thing about going out on your own as just Jenny and not um, just Jenny yeah. associated with anything else. I, I think the thing that's worked the best for me with my podcast is my timeline. I have a bit of, um, I have really crazy energy with how I like to output stuff and um, like my output is kind of insane and that's all on me. So I dictate my schedule. I dictate when I record. I do the editing. I do the posting. I do the tagging and the description. Like everything, I I do all the things so I can do them as I want to, as much as I want to, or as little as I want to. And, do you yeah. crash? Do you have a, a downside to this? Because you remind me of me when I'm manic, and I know. So what yeah, no, I I it definitely feels like I think what mania would be, except that I don't have mania. If that makes sense, mm. so like I, I'm so you know jealous, right? I I don't have what I have is ADD, and what mm-hmm. and it's I I don't have a formal diagnosis, but from everything I've read, my behavior is very typical for people with ADHD or ADD in that I become hyper focused on something, and when mm-hmm. I'm hyper focused, I can just go and go and go and go. So yeah, I mean. There are days that I'm like, okay, I need a break, but I take the break. Yeah. But otherwise, look, if you look at a day, right, and you have eight hours in a day, and let's say I do three recordings in one day, I still have however many more hours if I want to use them. Now, I could putz around and get nothing done, but also with the ADH brain, we know that working under the gun is great. So that gets stuff done. That's like a known fact that stops the procrastination when you have a deadline. So now I have a deadline every day. I have to put an episode up every day. This is what I've decided. This is what I've determined. So it's what I do because I have to do it and it's just falling on me. So, and I like that, like, if I want to sit on my couch and edit while my husband watches a show, I can. Like nobody's, and, and when I say it's my timeline, I'm not relying on anyone else to do anything. So I'm not 
driving someone else crazy because I like a quick turnaround. I don't have to expect anybody else to work that I do. Of course not. That would be nuts. Right. So, and I'm not very social. So for me, like this is, it gives me things to do. I don't go out to dinner with friends. I have dinner with my husband. You don't, you seem like a social person. I'm not. I'm really, I'm a stay at home kind of. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk to everybody and I have my girls and I love my friends. Plus I'm also still in kind of that grief mode. And it's, um, as I said, I have a grief body and a grief mind and, you know, my heart's broken. There's a lot going on. So having a place to put all my energy, I think is healthy for me. Yeah. And I'm sober. I've always been sober. So, I mean, always my whole Mm -hmm. life I've been sober. Like I've never liked alcohol. Or anything that puts me in an just altered never state. Had, just never just liked the taste. Never, never worked for me. Yeah. So again, I, I don't have much, much else to do but to work, really, or play on the internet. And then they're kind of like the same thing. <laughs> it's true. It all blurs together. Right. Right. Well, Jenny, it was so nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And before you go, can I ask you a big favor? Could you just rate the podcast? Just give it five stars wherever you're listening. It really means a lot to me and to the podcast. And I'd be so appreciative if you could just do that before you go. Thank you very, very much. She's Got Issues is produced by me, Jill Smokler, Kira Shine, and Gwen Sound. You can follow us on Instagram at She's Got Issues Media and tell a friend because you know what? It's not just us. She's Got Issues too. See you next time.